You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. We, we were notified by one of our customers, they were seeing an attack um, that had a a specific message in the attack traffic which drew their attention. That's Larry Cashdollar. He's a principal security intelligence response engineer at Akamai Technologies. The research we're discussing today is titled Our Evil Resurgence or a Copycat? And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And they asked the CERT to investigate. Um, so I, I hopped on a call with them and we were looking at the attack traffic. And um, it's not stuff that we normally see. You know, typically um, the type of attack traffic we see is just more, it's not so specific. But but the requests were, had a specific message, which is kind of uncommon. Um, and the message was part of the path in the get request uh, for HTTP. So we we thought that was kind of um, unique and interesting, so we investigated further, and uh, that's pretty much how we ended up writing up this blog post. Yeah. Well, let's walk through it together. Can you give us some of the details about the attack itself? Sure. Uh, the attack was um, originating from widely distributed uh, IP ranges. So these IP addresses were in uh, U.S. territory. They were in 
uh, Argentina, Brazil, uh, the UK, Russia, Iran, they, they, they were just really widely distributed across the globe. And uh, initially, you know, we thought it, it's likely going to be either infected uh, IoT devices or proxy servers. And upon investigating further, we noticed that these IP addresses were MicroTik routers, a lot hmm. of them, um, which was part of the uh, Maris botnet. Uh, a few, what was it, months ago, I believe that the Maris botnet was uh, utilizing MicroTik routers to proxy uh, attack traffic through. Thinking of this, you know, we thought perhaps it was someone utilizing part of the mic- of the uh, the Maris uh, botnet, but we couldn't really prove that if, if somebody was either borrowing a part of it or or just reusing the devices that Maris had used. It it, it was unclear to, to us, you know, during the investigation. Um, the attack itself was uh, pretty simple. It was a, a GET request, and I has, as I had mentioned earlier, the path in the GET request had a specific message for our uh, our or our customer to comply with a certain demand and then provide some Bitcoin uh, in order for the the attack to stop. The attack itself wasn't very sophisticated. They they were. Uh, they were using some cache busting techniques where the query string in the get request was like a eight randomized character string. Uh, hmm. And that's, you know, that's something where when a, a web server or a, a caching web server sees the, the request, um, it thinks it's unique and it doesn't try and, and uh, pull it from cache. It, it tries to pull it from the origin directly, mm-hmm. uh, increasing load on the origin server and bypassing, you know, any load balancing or, or caching systems. So we, you know, it wasn't a super sophisticated attack, yet it wasn't a very sophisticated attack. It was sort of low, low level and uh, with basic just attack techniques. We noticed that the uh, user agent string was also the same. It was the same user agent string across all uh, all IP addresses that were that were attacking the system. So that was another another interesting tidbit that we we you know noticed that it was. Uh, uh, unique in that fashion too. Usually they use different usage strings and things like that. So our evil is not generally known for DDoS attacks. I mean, they're kind of famous for being a ransomware as a service organization. So uh, did that throw into question the plausibility of, of this being from them? We kind of question that because we don't know if they were attempting to pivot into a different monetization method because typically, you know, as you mentioned, they use ransomware. They, they're the ransomware as a service, and there's no ransomware present in this attack. Uh, so we're not sure if they're trying a new model of making money or if there's actually someone, in, uh, a copycat attacker, who is attempting to piggyback on their notoriety. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, folks are aware of are evil and they've been in the news and, you know, this adversary could be attempting to use their publicity to threaten and intimidate the target. So we, we, we're not exactly sure which one it is, but it's, it's definitely something of interest. Kind of a dread pirate Roberts situation where the the name is, (laughs) the name is important, right? Right. (laughs) What about the messaging that you said was, was in the headers themselves? I mean, the, the specificity of that, that, that strikes me as being interesting in itself. Yes, it was, it was a, the message was asking for compliance 
against a specific court order. And it had something to do with, with uh, a government court order. And it was very political, which isn't like anything we've seen from our evil before. So it was something that was not, it didn't seem like it was something that would be in their wheelhouse. So again, we, we weren't sure if, if somebody was just attempting to use their um, notoriety to get their message across or, or get their demands met or what. So it was uh, still, still, still unclear. What about the DDoSing it, itself? I mean, what level of traffic are we talking about here? Uh, we saw at peak, it was about 15,000 requests per second, which isn't super high. It's not inc- insignificant, but it's, it's you know, the Maris botnet was producing way more traffic than that. So this didn't seem like it was a full bore uh, capability of, of, the, of the Maris botnet. This seemed like it was uh, either somebody building on top of the vulnerable devices or, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, have, were using part of, of a botnet that, that they might have either purchased or possibly got permission to use. We're, we're not exactly sure, but it, it didn't, it, it wasn't a, a big amount of attack traffic. Well, how long did it last and, and what sort of things did, uh, did your customer do to parry against it? Uh, the attack lasted about an hour and then there was a small burst of traffic after that, that attack that was less significant than the first attack. And then the, uh, um, the attack disappeared and we didn't see any more traffic after that. The customers, uh, our, our uh, systems, array controls are handling it. So it, it uh, because of the, the initial burst, um, our systems were able to just ignore the attack traffic and, and you know, the customer was able to say, hey, what's going on? Why are we seeing this? And, um, you know, they were able to further pivot and, and, f- and fix their um, <clears throat> or shore up their defenses in case another more intense attack occurred. Where do we stand right now when it comes to, to being able to do that sort of thing, to defend against these sorts of DDoS attacks? Is it, is it becoming almost routine to be able to uh, have this not really have a, a great effect on organizations if they're properly prepared? Yes. You know, if, if organizations can prepare for this type of attack in advance, uh, then they likely won't even notice the attack traffic. Um, unless they're checking their their web traffic logs and things like that, you know they they probably won't even notice. Uh, so it's it's always a good idea to try and shore up your defenses before you find out that you've you know should have shored them up, and then you get an attack, and then suddenly your your origin server's down or your backend database is crashed because there's so many connections to your to your website. So what are your recommendations for organizations then to, to properly prepare themselves against the possibility of this sort of thing? I would definitely look at having your, if, you're, if your website, if you think you might be a target or you expect to be, uh, you know, handling a lot of traffic, then look at, you know, content delivery networks such as Akamai um, or definitely have um, load balancing, traffic filtering, things like that. You know, you you, if you're only expecting inbound traffic on port 80 and 443 for web traffic, then why would you allow UDP traffic on port 53 for DNS on your network? You know, it's, it's, it's making sure that your, your systems are locked down and, and uh, you know, the traffic that you're expecting 
is allowed in and any anything unknown um, or is odd is, is automatically blocked by your by your defense system. Our thanks to Larry Cashdollar from Akamai for joining us. The research is titled Are Evil Resurgence or a Copycat? We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Rachel Gelfand, Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karpf, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.